Hello, and welcome to PrimeMed's podcast series on influenza. This is the third of the series of four. We welcome our two faculty, Dr. Charles Vega, Health Sciences Clinical Professor in the Department of Family Medicine at UC Irvine, where he is also the Assistant Dean for Culture and Community Education and the Executive Director, UC Irvine Program in the Medical Education for the Latino Community at UC Irvine School of Medicine and Dr. Aaron Mikos, Associate Professor of Medicine and Epidemiology, the Director of Women's Cardiovascular Health, and Associate Director of Preventative Cardiology at the Sicarone Center for the Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. The learning objectives of this podcast are, one, identify patients at high risk of influenza complications who would benefit most from antiviral treatment or prophylaxis, and two, review recent evidence around benefits of influenza vaccination in people with cardiovascular disease. Before we get started, let me remind everyone that this podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Genentech, a member of the Roche Group. For more information, please visit the activity page for this podcast on www.primed.com. Welcome to this podcast entitled Populations at High Risk for Influenza, Cardiometabolic Disease. I'm Dr. Chuck Vega, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Erin Mikos. Uh, She is an Associate Director of Preventive Cardiology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, as well as serving as Co-Editor-in-Chief of the American Journal of Preventive Cardiology. Welcome, Erin. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Uh, well, it's, it's a very timely program because uh, we're now initiating in, in our clinic uh, influenza vaccination. It's that time of year. Uh, it's so important to get vaccinated, particularly during the COVID-19 pandemic. And not only that, there's some really interesting uh, new information that's come out um, regarding the interplay between influenza vaccination and the risk of cardiometabolic disease. Um, And I'm thinking specifically of the influenza vaccination after myocardial infarction or IAMI trial. Um, Erin, can you tell us a little bit about that trial and what the results were? Yes, so IAMI was just presented at the European Society of Cardiology meeting on August 30th, 2021, and simultaneously published in circulation, if your audience is looking for it. And I think this is a really important trial. So this was a double-blind, randomized controlled trial to test whether influenza vaccine given early, you know, during the hospital admission for a myocardial infarction or in a patient with high-risk coronary disease who's gotten revascularized, whether influenza vaccine reduces cardiovascular events. So IAMI enrolled over 2,500 participants at 30 centers across eight countries and found that participants with um, myocardial infarction or high-risk coronary disease, that influenza vaccine administered within 72 hours of the MI or the invasive coronary procedure resulted in a 28% lower risk of uh, uh, major adverse cardiovascular outcomes, which included all-cause death, MI, or stent thrombosis, and a 41% reduction in cardiovascular death. And then the authors also combined IAMI results in a meta-analysis with three other trials and showed overall in patients with um, coronary disease, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, that influenza vaccine can reduce cardiovascular death by 49%. 
That's that's amazing, and uh, it just goes to you know show uh, for for me and my practice that any time you give the influenza vaccine is a good time to give the influenza vaccine. Uh, always getting a vaccine is much better than no vaccine, and a lot of patients certainly aren't aware of the connection uh, between um, influenza and the risk of cardiovascular disease, cardiovascular events such as myocardial infarction or stroke. So that is has always been one of my go-to um, counseling points for patients who are a little hesitant about taking the, the flu vaccine. You know, maybe you feel like flu is just a bad cold, um, but what if you have two stents in your coronary arteries? Or what if you have a history of hypertension, diabetes, and obesity, which is seems like most of my practice, um, you know, there, there are benefits that go well beyond uh, the prevention of influenza, including uh, lowering the risk of uh, cardiovascular events and also mortality as well. Yeah, and I really want to point out that the results from Miami were really consistent across all subgroups and were in agreement with a uh, previous uh, meta-analysis that my own research group had done recently, um, led by Sivel Yidl Pate and Safi Khan. And in that, our meta-analysis, we had four randomized clinical trials and 12 observational studies, over 240,000 patients with cardiovascular disease followed for 20 months. And we showed that influenza vaccine uh, compared to controls uh, reduced um, all-cause mortality by 28% and cardiovascular mortality by 18%, driven by a 13% reduction in major adverse cardiovascular events. So this is really consistent in the findings, and I think um, how IAMI um, added to this knowledge is showing that influenza vaccine is safe when given in the hospital after MI and really should be considered as part of in-hospital treatment after MI. Um, and I hope that this uh, really gives more attention to the importance of this, along with all other secondary prevention um, you know, therapies we give. I mean, when you look at what the relative risk reduction after MI for beta blockers or angiotensin um, converting enzyme inhibitors, ACE inhibitors, uh, you know, you see reductions in mortality of, you know, 20 to 25 percent. Um, and, you know, post-MI statins reduce cardiovascular risk about 20 to 30 percent. And so influenza vaccine is really comparable with this, but it just doesn't seem to get the same level of attention, attention or priority. Well, and, and hopefully that's where this podcast can help, because, again, I, I do get more flu vaccine on board when I mention uh, that it lowers cardiovascular risk, uh, particularly for at-risk patients. I have one clarifying, clarifying question on IAMI, though. Now, these were folks who came in the hospital um, with a cardiovascular event, and had they previously been vaccinated against influenza? Was there anybody getting, um, you know, say, two vaccines in one flu season here, or was it the, the vaccine was just provided for folks who had not been appropriate? really vaccinated for that season. Yeah, so that's a really good and important point when you think about um, the you know, implications of the study because these individuals should have all had received the influenza vaccine. It's important to note that this is not a new guideline recommendation. I mean, even back in 2006, the American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology had released a guideline for secondary prevention of patients with coronary disease and had given a class one indication, you know, the highest level of recommendation for influenza 
vaccine uh, for secondary prevention. But, you know, despite this, you know, at least in the U.S., uh, surveys have suggested that only, you know, 50% of patients or, or less who have atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease even receive the influenza vaccine. And that's even lower among, you know, black and Hispanic adults compared to white adults with significant statewide variation. So there's a lot of social determinants that are associated with receipt of influenza vaccines. So we're not doing great at this. So all these patients probably should have had an indication for vaccine, um, but uh, if they had not received it yet or were not planning to get it on, on their own, they could be enrolled in the trial. That's why the authors felt it was ethical to potentially enroll you know, half the individuals to receiving no vaccine because these are individuals who were not planning to get the vaccine already. Yeah, really good point. So yeah, again, this makes me feel more pressure that I, I really want to get um, influenza vaccine on board. And just anecdotally, I can say that uh, folks right now are just burned out on the whole subject of vaccines. Um, obviously, the COVID-19 vaccine is a huge priority and spent, takes up a lot of uh, my time in primary care practices uh, is discussing the COVID-19 vaccine and, and working with patients um, to, to try to get them more towards uh, acceptance of the vaccine. And so, and then it, when my, my initial conversations about flu vaccine this season have gone along the lines of, Doc, I can't even think about that right now. I'm still trying to work on COVID. And so, uh, but it's, it is critically important. Um, yeah, I guess let's take a step back though and think about uh, why uh, influenza can promote a higher rate of cardiovascular disease and, and why influenza vaccine is effective in reducing it. So mechanistically, how does that work, Aaron? Yeah, so, and this may have implications for COVID infection too as well, but influenza as well as other viral infections have been shown to be independent risk factors for cardiovascular events. And additionally, as we've also seen with the COVID pandemic, you know, the presence of having cardiovascular disease or heart failure is a risk marker for worse outcomes in the setting of viral infections like influenza or COVID, you know, with increased risk of morbidity and mortality. So how do you know, viral infections you know, trigger a myocardial infarction? Well, probably through several mechanisms. It's thought that um, perhaps the you know, inflammation can, you know, the cytokine storm can lead to plaque disruption uh, from the inflammatory response and, and thrombogenic response. Uh, so it can destabilize patients with preexisting cardiovascular disease. Also through increased metabolic demand. You know, so when someone is, is severely ill, you do have a tachycardia, you could have have hypoxemia, you can have elevated blood pressure or low blood pressure, and these are patients with underlying vascular disease, so you can have a demand ischemia as well, so you can have a type 2 MI or you can have a type 1 MI from um, acute plaque rupture. Um, there's other issues also related to you know, fever, tachycardia, volume overload, uh, arrhythmias. And furthermore, if you have a viral infection like influenza, it also predisposes uh, patients to having opportunistic infections like a, a bacterial pneumonia on top of that, which in and of itself is also associated with cardiovascular risk. And then there's interesting um, work suggesting that in addition to preventing the infection in the first place, that uh, the vaccine uh, uh, may itself interact with immune and inflammatory systems to help promote um, plaque stabilization. So that's uh, an interesting line of work as well. Wow, Aaron. Uh, so I think I'm going to play that recording on a loop in uh, patient rooms while while they're waiting because there's a lot of scary stuff there to think about, and that could be a great motivator for uh, for my patients to get the flu vaccine. 
um, you know, it's not the same system that we used to have in terms of flu vaccine, where it was just really a, a few choices, but they're all relatively similar. You know, now we have high dose vaccines, we have adjuvanted vaccines. Um, all the vaccines are quadrivalent, but the way they're manufactured is different. Would you recommend, um, you know, say a high dose vaccine for someone at increased cardiovascular risk, but who is not 65 years of age? Or do you think that really makes much of a difference? Well, as your audience likely already knows, you know, compared with a standard dose vaccine, the high dose uh, inactivated influenza vaccine has been shown to improve antibody response to influenza um, and also provide a better protection against laboratory confirmed influenza illness than standard dose vaccines. Um, and this is why uh, it's been approved for uh, the high dose uh, for people over the age of 65. But I do want to mention that the CDC and its advisory committee has not expressed a preference for any flu vaccine in particular over another, um, except that people over 65 really should get the flu shot, you know, not the nasal spray vaccine. Um, and in terms of, so that's protection against flu. What about protection against cardiovascular events? Well, that was actually studied in a randomized clinical trial also published this year. There was the INVESTED trial, the influenza vaccine to effectively stop cardiothoracic events and decompensated heart failure. This was published uh, by Dr. Vardini and colleagues in, in JAMA uh, earlier this year in 2021. And in this trial, you know, high-dose vaccine um, compared to standard uh, vaccine, and, and high-risk patients with cardiovascular disease really had comparable outcomes. There wasn't any further reduction in all-cause mortality or hospitalizations for cardiac or pulmonary causes. So it didn't have incremental benefit for preventing cardiovascular disease, but again, it's being compared to a standard vaccine, not compared to no vaccine. So it's important to emphasize that influenza vaccine remains strongly recommended in this population. Yes, back to that rule number one, <laughs> any vaccine better than no vaccine. Um, that said, uh, the actual um, you know, protection you get against influenza illness associated with flu vaccine is not spectacular. Um, in, you know, in a given year, it's, it's usually between 40 and 50% effective in uh, preventing uh, influenza-like illness. So um, some patients, you know, even though, and maybe especially those uh, with um, high cardiovascular risk are going to get sick with influenza. Um, what, what categories of folks with uh, pre-existing cardiovascular illness are considered high risk for influenza complications? Is it any cardiovascular illness or are there specific ones that really call out um, this person's at, at increased risk of complications, including cardiovascular complications of the infection? Yes, um, so certainly um, older adults, individuals who have uh, cardiovascular disease or heart failure, um, patients um, who are pregnant, uh, you know, these patients with any kind of severe underlying uh, uh, morbidity or an increased risk for uh, severe complications from influenza. So it's really important that you know, all of these groups uh, get vaccinated. Uh, but you mentioned, you know, what do we do um, if someone has a, a breakthrough or an exposure um, and, you know, there are, we do have uh, anti-influenza drugs and I think that, you know, anybody who is high risk, who either has suspected influenza, who's been hospitalized or has a severe illness like heart failure or cardiovascular disease, um, you, we should initiate antiviral treatment as soon as possible and not really wait for laboratory confirmation of influenza virus. Um, and this is challenging now because influenza and COVID have overlapping signs and symptoms, but I still think clinicians should not wait for a confirmation of influenza. If you have a high-risk priority patient to start your antiviral uh, treatment, 
And this has actually been looked at. Does antiviral treatment um, actually reduce cardiovascular events? Now, this wasn't done in a trial, but there was a large observational study uh, published in 2009 in Circ Outcomes, you know, over 37,000 um, beneficiaries of TRICARE uh, who had cardiovascular disease based on an ICD code who developed influenza. And they looked at whether uh, they were prescribed um, an antiviral, you know, Tamiflu within two days of their diagnosis of influenza or not. And of course it was observational, but they did propensity matching and found that treatment with antiviral for influenza was associated with a 58% reduction in recurrent cardiovascular events in these individuals who have cardiovascular disease. So I do think this perhaps warrants merit in you know, trials, but it does support um, adherence to the current guidelines we have for preventing and treating influenza with patients with cardiovascular disease. Yeah, that that I, I also saw that study by Cassells and colleagues, and so yeah, which I think is important and, and very informative. Um, and we, you know, the patients who have who are at high risk uh, for complication of influenza, including those with heart failure and also coronary artery disease, a lot of clinicians may not realize that stable CAD is another risk factor for complications. Um, they they're going to get other benefits with that anti-influenza drug as well. So you know, obviously they will get better faster than if they're given no treatment. Um, but they can. You're also talking about the prevention of pneumonia, um, and you know, in our current environment, less healthcare resource use. So they're they're less likely to go to the urgent care, less likely to go to the ED, and um, RED is constantly closed for saturation these days. Um, so we're really trying to again really push and be good stewards on uh, keeping patients out of the emergency room, out of the hospital, uh, because unfortunately we still have a high need uh, with COVID-19 in those areas. Um, maybe you can address as a final point today, uh, what do we do with folks who are exposed to influenza um, but are asymptomatic? Uh, is there a role for prophylaxis in the prevention of uh, cardiovascular events? Can we, can we extrapolate this data and take it that far to, uh, to use prophylaxis um, for folks exposed to influenza? Yeah, that's a great um, point too. And, and I also forgot to mention, of course, earlier that individuals who are high risk for complications in the setting of influenza infection not only include you know, cardiovascular disease, as we talked about, and being older age, but also people with risk factors such as uh, diabetes and extreme obesity, BMI above 40, um, and of course, patients that happen to be immunocompromised. Uh, these are all individuals that you want to get on board with treatment. But your question was about um, prevention. Um, and yes, uh, the uh, CDC does have advisory uh, about this as well. You know, we have you know, two classes of antiviral drugs that have been approved for prevention of influenza. And uh, usually it's for individuals who um, you know, have been um, exposed uh, uh, to uh, you know, a household contact or somebody who has um, you know, been diagnosed with influenza. Um, uh, and I, if you're living in the same household, um, I, it is recommended and, and as, as particularly for those high-risk groups um, as well as you know, an emphasis also on healthcare workers. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so it's it's particularly if they have not received the vaccine, again, just really stresses the importance of the vaccine. Um, I'm usually pretty quick to prophylax those folks at high, at high risk for complications who are household contacts of individuals with influenza. Um, and so, yeah, there, so there's there's multiple ways here. I think what we've uh, described today, uh, Aaron, you, you did a great job of kind of walking us through that you know, inf uh, vaccination is certainly the primary way 
that we overall reduce the burden of influenza in the United States. So it's critically important to get vaccinated. It doesn't just um, you know prevent influenza; it makes the influenza you get less severe, and so and it can keep you um, from getting a heart attack or a stroke. So uh, so that's that's important information to share with patients. If you have influenza circulating in your community, uh, you have a patient in front of you with influenza-like illness, and they're at high risk for complications with many of those conditions you said, most of the patients in my practice are at high risk for complications of influenza, uh, you can go ahead and presumptively treat. Uh, but right now, as long as we have SARS-CoV-2 in circulation, co-testing is also important. So I'm going to, uh, the implications between those infections are different. And can you see co-infections with both? Absolutely. So, uh, so therefore, we're, we're testing right now, but that should not delay treatment, particularly if you have to do a send out uh, RT-PCR. You go ahead and initiate treatment uh, with a drug like Ocetanavir or Biloxivir and, um, and then get your results back and, and, um, and manage, continue to manage the patient and follow them. So any other parting thoughts, uh, Aaron, before we go? No, I agree with all that. I mean, again, how many other interventions decrease cardiovascular death by 41%? I think that we really need to drive that point home that this is a secondary prevention intervention, just right there along with your statins, your ACE inhibitors, and your beta blockers. And although we've been talking about uh, influenza vaccination, and we don't have the similar data exactly for COVID vaccination, I think it's going to be the same uh, you know, benefit. We know that there's an increased risk of acute cardiovascular complications uh, in the setting of COVID. COVID. And so by COVID vaccination, avoiding that severe illness with COVID, it likely would have the same uh, reduction in uh, cardiovascular complications uh, from SARS-CoV-2. So get both vaccinations. Get all the vaccinations. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the way I went into this business. Um, uh, well, so uh, it's all about prevention for me. I, I'm a big believer. So, and and I know uh, it's it's great to hear your perspective as a cardiologist too. That you're you're right there uh, with us folks in primary care and uh, such a support and you know incredible uh, research that you presented today as well. So thank you very much, Aaron. Uh, it was very insightful. Um, everything that you shared with us today. Um, I also want to thank our audience for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out the other three podcasts in the series on influenza and high-risk populations. You can also check out the additional series of interactive videos covering influenza management, which are located on the Influenza Curriculum webpage on PrimeMed. Take care and be well. To obtain your CME credit, please visit PrimeMed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you have listened to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit. Thank you.